0: Hey, I'm Dr. Kate Wong, and I'm Tiara Mitchell, and, and you are me. listening to, to the Holistic, Holistic Hope Podcast. We invite you to join us and our village in conversations rooted in wellness and health so that we may grow a community of generational healing through love.
1: In this episode of the Holistic Hope Podcast, episode two, we meet with our guest Mikosi of the Royal Shaman, where she is an executive coach, an authentic African shaman, who helps burned out business leaders fulfill their highest potential using mindset, mindfulness, and metaphysics mastery. Join our conversation with Mikosi as she shares her experience in discovering the most powerful way she could show up for her family. Be sure to join in the conversations with us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Today we have with us Mikosi. Makosi, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please?
2: Absolutely. Um, so I am a shaman, full-time, uh, master spiritual teacher. I work with high-level entrepreneurs and executives to essentially survive their, their spiritual awakening. And um, I'm super excited to have a little chat with you all and, and hopefully... Through sharing uh, my story, that could bring some inspiration and hope to someone else.
1: Yes, I love it. Um, (laughs) So, by sharing your story, can you give us an intro to your story? So, you're a shaman, you're also a mom. Yeah, I'm a mom and also a
2: wife. Um, I would say that my story really, like, I think most. Most women, our our stories go way back, (laughs) way, way back. Um, And it's interesting because my becoming um, a spiritual teacher was greatly influenced by my fertility experience, my uh, becoming a mom. Like I literally was pushed because I was a mom. I was so driven to really become the best version of myself mm-hmm. and deal with issues that I was having so that I could show up um, at my best for, for my son and also, you know, for my, for my husband as well. So those things were absolutely critical in um, becoming a spiritual, a spiritual teacher
1: as well. If you could describe parenthood in one word, what would it be? Ooh, that's
2: a good one. Parenthood in one word. Hmm. Ever-changing. Absolutely. (laughs)
1: Just when you think you have it figured out. Right. And there's a new phase that comes in. And especially being a mom and a wife. So can you give us a little bit about how that's been for you, that journey? And how old's your son? Um, he's
2: seven. Seven. He's seven. So my husband and I, uh, we were college sweethearts. Oh. We've yeah, we've been together for let's see, eleven years now. This year we'll be eight years married. Congratulations. Thank you. Um it's doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I guess it has. And, uh, you know, having, I will say for me, having a really, um, solid relationship has been a strong desire of mine because I grew up without my father. And, um, and so I was really passionate about being choosy (laughs) about who, um, who I was going to have a child with, but also choosing someone who was emotionally available and who was supportive through, through that process. And was also, my husband has this real gift of being, um, very flexible himself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so necessary because, you know, we've been together for so long. He's seen me go from being like a very young woman, right. All the way up through becoming a, uh, being pregnant and then becoming a mom and now like a woman and, and becoming a teacher to others. And there's been so many, um, phases that we've been through together.
1: And when did you know you guys wanted to have children?
2: We always talked about it like early, early on. Um in our relationship mm-hmm. that we wanted to have two, mm-hmm. but I knew um i've I've known since I was very young that I was having um, that I would have fertility issues so um, I'll dig into that a little bit if you'd like. Please. Um, yeah you yeah so i I started my cycle at age ten, which was i was i think maybe the second girl in my class to uh, to start my cycle and it's like fifth grade. So no one really knows <laughs> about those things back then. Right. Do we all really know? What it was like, what is happening? I still don't know. I've had
1: two kids. <laughs> and I still have no idea.
2: Like, yeah. At what point do we actually figure out this whole, uh, being a woman and having a cycle thing? But I knew pretty early on that there like something wasn't, wasn't really, right? Because my, my periods were so painful Mm -hmm. that I would have to be home every single month. Um, I'd be begging my mom to like, let me just stay home. And I would be off of school for two or three days at the start of every cycle. And they were very, they were long Mm -hmm. and heavy from even a young age. So um, at about 13, I was getting fed up with them being so long and so painful, et cetera, and started, you know, I was going to the doctor and they allowed me to, um, to get on birth control to help with the, the pain and all of those things. But even though I was on birth control, I was still experiencing severe pain. Um, mm-hmm. as I was getting older, I kept, I started getting cysts and eventually, um, I was diagnosed with uh, polycystic ovaries mm-hmm. and, um, and also endometriosis. Mm. So when I finally got like the official diagnosis of endometriosis, which was actually after my son has been born, was born, um, by then it was severe. So it was at the stage four. So I, I, I feel like I was really blessed because the um, gynecologist that I was seeing had actually been my mom's gynecologist. And so he had seen firsthand the level of endometriosis that my mother had. Mm. And she was the worst that he had ever seen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, He he did her hysterectomy and everything while she was in her thirties. And I was, I was following in her footsteps except I started my cycle five years earlier. Mm. So, with all of that, and I was like in and out of the hospital with, um, with the, the blood-filled cysts and having so many problems. Um, I think I was probably maybe 22. Yeah, 22. Did a hospital stay, came out and saw him, and he was like, "Look, I'm going to be really honest with you. You're having all of these these issues. I really think that if you and your at the time he was my fiance. He was like, if the two of you all want to have children, you should probably start trying now because I'm not, I really don't think you're going to be able to in about five years. Hmm. So, you know, my husband, it was like way earlier than we. we Right. I mean,
0: 22, right? I'm going to have a kid when I'm 22.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Like I was still in college. We were trying to get our life together. We were engaged, but we weren't yet married. Um, so yeah, I, I planned on being like in my early thirties. That was my thinking, like late twenties, early thirties, I'm going to have a child because I'm going to have my career together and
1: I'm going to have everything together
2: before a kid and, uh, did not work out that way. (laughs) So, um, you know, we, we went home, we, we talked about it. I decided to get off of birth control and start actively trying to get pregnant. And boy, did we try all the things i you know, got really, I was already, um, pretty adamant about the way that I was eating. And I got even more focused on my nutrition and supplements and what I was eating and when I was eating and all of the, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, still was struggling <laughs> to get pregnant. Uh,
0: how long of a period would you say when you st- decided to start
2: and then how long of a transition did it, it was it was definitely over a year.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it was I I want to say it was like 14 months or so. Um and part of that period um I was also doing um various medical treatments. So I was like taking metformin to kind of stimulate ovulation because I wasn't ovulating because of the the polycystic ovaries.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um also, I did, uh, I was getting injections. I think it was um, the depot, not the actual birth control shot, but um, to kind of calm down my endometriosis. And none of that stuff was working.
1: So you were trying to like manage your symptoms, which the process is to prevent pregnancy, but still try to conceive a baby. Yeah. Fun. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> it was it was very stressful. And by the way, you know, I was still in college (laughs) and engaged, like thinking we're going to be planning a wedding. And Yeah. yeah, it was a lot. So, um, eventually it got to the point where we had tried all of the, all of the things other than like, uh, doing some really drastic things. Um, so my doctor suggested that he do, um, do a surgery where he was going to essentially laser off the endometriosis that was in there and mm-hmm. also stimulate my, my ovaries. So we scheduled this surgery and in between being scheduled and, or him scheduling it and the actual surgery date, I ended up with another cyst, end up in the hospital again. Mm-hmm. And after that, uh, pretty positive. I know when, <laughs> Um, I come out and I think maybe it was like another two weeks before the the cert or three weeks before the surgery. So we go in for me to have this surgery, and I want to say it was supposed to be at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And they've got me hooked up. You know, I've seen the anesthesiologist, everything's going great, and I'm just watching the clock keep going and going and going. And a few hours later, my doctor comes in and you're pregnant. I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I was pregnant. <laughs> and he he was like, I'm sorry to make you wait. But he was like, I had other surgeries and I had to be the one to tell you. Oh, that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that you were pregnant. So the benefit of that was like, yeah, I found out I was pregnant. I didn't have to have the surgery then. I did still end up having to have it after I had my son, but, um, Man, that pregnancy lasted forever because I was only like, <laughs> I was barely pregnant. When you found out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you know what? They didn't really tell me was a lot of the challenges that I was having that were keeping me from getting pregnant um, was like some hormonal issues. So like my progesterone was low, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. which also made it very difficult for me to carry him.
0: Mm -hmm. So,
2: um, my body kept trying to miscarry. I ended up on bed rest almost my entire pregnancy. I was only off of bed rest for, I think, two months, right, right in the middle of that second trimester. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I ate a lot of ice cream. I got real big. (laughs) 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 Oh, but overall... That experience, you know, and then I ended up having to, he ended up having to come a little early. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the cord was wrapped around, around his neck. And so I ended up having an emergency C-section, which was kind of, uh, I had already been in and out because again, my, my, um, my progesterone was low. And so my body kept trying to um, have him early. So I had been in and out of the hospital that last trimester. And finally, I think I had hit like 37, yeah, 37 weeks in like two days. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctor put me in because his his heart rate kept dropping and let me try to have him for some time. That wasn't working and uh, things just kept going downhill. So I ended up having to have. An emergency c-section which was not at all like i i did like hypno babies i had my my birth ball like everything I had, all like, i set up for it's like
0: amazing birth that'd be yeah. like so magical right yeah so what can i dig a little deeper Bakosi? um yeah what do you mean when um your body kept on trying to miscarry what exactly did you feel did someone else tell you like what is it
2: Yeah. So er, like in the very, very early stages, um, I would be experiencing like maybe a little bit of bleeding here and there, or I would also be feeling, um, essentially like my uterus, like trying to push out Mm -hmm. very early. Um, and of course that like increased as I was, you know, as I was going along, the second trimester wasn't that bad, but definitely early on, I kept having so many issues, but also, too, my health wasn't great. I had severe, um, I don't even remember what the name of it is when you have severe morning sickness, um, but it's not just in the morning.
1: I don't, I don't think they have it. I had that, too, and they never gave me a name for it.
2: Uh, I'm pretty positive there's a name for it. Yeah, there's a name for it. Yeah, but I definitely, <laughs> I had that, and so I lost, like, all of this weight, couldn't keep anything down you know I, I it was just it was just rough
1: mm-hmm. um
2: and so i think they they had done some tests to see what my hormone levels were and my progesterone was low mm-hmm. and that was what was causing so many issues so he did put me on um i think it was artificial hormones at like early on to kind of mm-hmm. stabilize okay. stabilize my body okay
1: So you said that you like to help aid others in the transition of their spiritual awakening. And from how you've just described your whole conception experience, to me, it sounds like you're very much in tune with your body, like in ways that a lot of women probably aren't. So at the time where you were going through your conception journey, did were you already practicing any spiritual, spirituality?
2: Um, I think for me, um, at that time I wasn't, um, I wasn't really clear on what my direction was back then. To be honest, at that time I was pre-med. So I was planning on becoming a doctor at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had, but I had always had spiritual abilities, um, as far back as I could remember. and. I was having from the time I was probably 15 or so having um interactions with what you would call, you know, non-physical beings. And um and I also had this passion for just understanding religions and spiritual systems. So I was already what you what most people would call like a seeker, a truth mm-hmm. seeker. And I hadn't yet gotten onto my spiritual journey when I was going through this. Mm-hmm. This entire um, conception process, it was only after he was born and and I ended up having some surgeries after the after that C-section I had a couple surgeries, and I really started to reevaluate what the value of life was and what was actually priority and um, it gave me a whole new look on the medical system. Mm-hmm to Be honest, <laughs> um, <laughs> having gone through all of that and like the way that I was treated and the way that I my intuition about my body was disregarded, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. a lot of that was a turn off <laughs> to me wanting to become
1: to be in that doctor. field, right? Yeah.
2: yeah, so I had my son my senior year and um. I started like, you know, I went through all of that, all of that insanity for almost two years, no, over two years between, you know, getting started and and having him and all of that. And I started to look at what was important. And for me at that stage, I just could not imagine having gone through all of that to have to then leave my child in the care of someone else all day long for me to go to medical school and be studying all the time and not really get to be present Mm -hmm. with him the way that I wanted to, not that that's wrong or bad or anything, but I just got a real wake up call to what was important to me. So those things kind of contributed to me. Then whenever there, you know, was this kind of synchronistic event that started to unfold, I had already had these things in place that showed me where my priorities were. And to me, that was my family Hmm. first and foremost. And I knew that the best way for me to show up for my family was for me to be at my best (laughs) and be grounded and be in touch with myself and, and, um, understand why things were happening and, and what I could actually do about them, if anything, but it started off with me just really wanting to understand myself Mm -hmm. and over time that has kind of branched out to, well, once you, once you get clear on that, on the fact that you are really deeply connected with everyone else, you know, some will even call it oneness. Right. Then, It's not enough for me to do the work for myself, on myself. It's now important for me to understand if anyone's suffering, then I'm suffering.
1: So I have a really big question for you. Okay. With what you just said, because this, I feel like this is why Kate and I wanted to do this podcast. So, like, with what you just said and how you said that, there's a oneness. We're all connected. And Pretty much, I love how you said you're a truth seeker. And so, with the whole process of how you had this plan for your life, you're going to go to medical school, you're going to get married, then some years later, you're going to have your baby. And then your doctor tells you, Look, you're trying to have a child, you can have this child now. You go through all this stuff to find out you're already pregnant. The way was already made for your son to come, despite your body trying to abort and all this craziness of what could have happened. And the way it happened and you now realizing there's a need for women to know that it's okay to trust their intuition, it's okay to trust. Do you think it's safe to say or to even assume that this was a predestined calling to make sure that you can be available not only for your child, but for the other mothers who want to find ways to ground themselves in being present for their families? Absolutely.
2: So I don't, I don't believe that destiny is set in stone, that there's no flexibility. Um, I do see that there is free will, but I do, I do absolutely see how certain things in my life when I surrendered to them, that's really the key there. When I surrendered to them, and allowed certain things to unfold, even though it wasn't on what I thought was my timing.
0: Right.
2: Those things put in place something that made it possible for me on the next, at the next stage. So even now, um, things are happening for me very quickly. Um, since I completed my initiation, I was an in initiation for five years and, uh, Things are happening very quickly for me, certain connections, certain um, pathways and doors opening for me. And I know that there's no way, like if I'm I'm in my early 30s now, if I had not had a child back then, (laughs) and I was trying to have one now, it would... I wouldn't be able to do the work that I'm trying to do all the travel and the, it's just too much. So the time that I ended up having him and following that intuition, it ended up being the absolute perfect timing Mm -hmm. for me to be home with him. I got, I did end up getting to be home with him while he was a toddler and I got to experience all of that. And now I have the flexibility to be with him. you know, after school and this, that, and the other. But I absolutely see that there is a a force or a knowing that is bigger than what we think that we can even possibly imagine. I couldn't have imagined. I didn't want to become a shaman. I wanted to become a doctor. (laughs) I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and so even certain things I just look and I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. How did this happen? But <laughs> it's been the surrendering to following my my inner compass that's allowed for all of this stuff to, yeah. to happen and unfold. Yeah.
1: Kate, did
2: you have
0: anything? So I, I do have a question about that too, because you know how like say surrender? Mm-hmm. Because surrendering has so many different like concepts and, you know, ways to surrender. And there's things that we want to surrender to and things we don't want to surrender to. So what would you say kind of opened your eyes to surrender to this versus another choice that you may have had had
2: back then? Yeah. Yeah, surrendering is, it's a topic that, or a word by itself that people can get really uncomfortable with because, you know, the question is like, well, what am I actually surrendering to? Right. And also, is that something desirable for me? So, for me, surrender means accepting what is right now. What is like getting present to what is the experience that I'm having right now and where is the opportunity for me to grow in whatever that is? Mm-hmm. And, following the curiosity. I think that one of the things that makes it possible for me to surrender,
1: even when it may be
2: counter to what I think that I want, is that I know without a shadow of a doubt because of, because of my life and the things I've not just survived, but like blew out of the water. I know that I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. And so even if I make a mistake and I fall flat on my face and I lose everything, like to me, I know I'm still gonna be okay. So whenever I'm, I'm being present to what the reality is and it's showing me that there's an opportunity for growth, I come back to you're either growing or you're dying. There really isn't any maintenance. There is no, there isn't really any just standing still. You're either improving your health or your, your health is declining, right? And it's okay for it to not always be this way, yeah. you know, on the up and up, but you overall, I wanted my trajectory to be up. So I'm always looking for mm-hmm. the growth, the growth opportunity, um, even if it's out of the box even if it's uncomfortable. In fact, oftentimes, if it's uncomfortable, that's what you need to lean into.
1: You're doing something right.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's like, If it's comfortable, that's a, that's a problem.
1: Right.
0: It's like almost like stocks, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the day-to-day stocks, it's like going up and down, up and down. But if you look at the one-year, five-year stocks, you're like, oh, actually, it's going, it's going up. It doesn't look like it right now in that little itty-bitty timing. Right, but the trajectory. Of what do you want it to be? What it wants to grow to?
2: Mm-hmm. And I think also we have to also just understand that the human mind is very limited. Mm. It is limited. If you are thinking of a goal, let's use this for example. You're thinking of a goal um, from from your mind. That's the only place that you can think of it from. You are only creating goals based off of what you've seen before, what you believe is possible because you're not going to create a goal that you don't believe is is possible for you, but your internal guidance system knows what's possible for you. And almost every time it's way bigger than what you thought. Hmm. Almost every time it is bigger than what you can imagine for yourself. So, The only way to access that internal guidance system is intuition. It comes through intuition. It comes through your curiosity. It doesn't come from thinking.
1: So you actually just, when you said you surrender, the surrendering process, that has been something, even if moms don't come out and say, I had to surrender. I know for me, that was a part of my story for my second baby wanted this baby so bad we wanted a boy she's is clearly a girl um, <laughs> but there was a point where i had to literally say you know what i know my body's capable of bringing a child into this world i know that i can conceive a baby i have nothing stopping me it's going to happen when it's going to happen next month i was pregnant <laughs> next didn't do anything different next month i was pregnant i've heard other stories a mom who was told she couldn't conceive. The minute she was just like, well, whatever happens, happens. She went in thinking she had the flu. She found out she was pregnant. So what advice could you give to not just moms, but anyone, especially women, especially moms who, you know, their minds can't see the possibilities because of what you just mentioned, but maybe what advice could you give so that they can connect to their intuition and see past their surface and into like a higher level?
2: Um, I think that one of the biggest sicknesses, we'll call it a sickness, um, because it's kind of infectious in this society, is that we have this uh, idea of control. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So this idea that we have control over anything outside of how we approach reality is a sickness. That's, to be honest, causing that is the source of suffering.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Our suffering doesn't come always from from reality. Like, let's be honest. Right now, things are not great in our economy. worldwide there's a pandemic but most people are suffering more because of the resistance to what reality actually is and that resistance is coming in the form of either a they were holding very tightly, or still are holding very tightly, to their imagination of what reality is supposed to be like. Hmm. And reality never is. <laughs> or they are holding on to the memory of what was. Can only really be one of those two things imagination or memory
1: so too that far could pass too far in the present
2: ab, too too far in the past too far in the future Sorry. If most yeah. of us yeah if, if if you can actually get grounded and get present to what actually is right now what what the reality is right now and operate from that you don't need to have the whole path figured out you only have to have the next step or the next two steps you need to look for those places where your power actually is
0: Mm -hmm.
2: our body (laughs) the reason why like you gave an example of of you having your second and me getting pregnant like great example it was only when i finally gave up that I got pregnant, (laughs) right? When I finally surrendered, it was because I had been putting so much focus on trying to force things to happen a certain way that I was then creating undue stress in my body. You know, we can go into all of what what happens then, but those are creating the blockages to what it is that we actually want to see and experience in our life. What we want to see and experience in our life We can always just choose to experience that first and what we want then follows. And it isn't always a uh, perfect match because again, we're talking about our mind has this imagination of what it thinks that it wants. Like I thought I wanted a daughter. Like I was so pressed. I cried when I found out I was having a son. I was like, oh my gosh, I went through
0: all this. And
2: it's a boy. <laughs> and it's a boy. You got to be kidding me. I was so, like I'm I would be lying if I told you that. Oh, I was just I was just so grateful to have whatever I was gonna have. No, I wasn't. I was upset. I cried for two days. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, now getting present to what the reality is of like, okay, I'm having this son. And where's the, where's the power? How can I grow from that? Where's the benefit? And I'm so grateful that I had a son instead of a daughter for me right now, where I am in my life. I really like, I love having a son. It was what I needed. Mm -hmm. And That getting like really present to that instead of focusing on, oh, I want life to look this way. Oh, it needs to be this way. How boring. Let's be real. How boring would life be if it always went the way that we If
1: it always went how we wanted.
2: Right. Like that. Like, okay, let's just take a movie, for example. If you watch a movie, let's take a chick flick, right? How many chick flicks have the same (laughs) storyline again and again? And you might be watching that thinking, this is ridiculous. I know what's going to happen next. This is boring. Well, imagine if life was that way.
1: It wouldn't be any, there would be no fun to it. There would be no point to it. Or even going back to where you said growth happens in the discomfort. If we didn't have to wait if we didn't have to wait, if we didn't have to learn the lessons where we would be dying because we wouldn't be growing.
0: And the craziest thing is like when, when things are going the way that's so normal and so boring, we're not going to let that happen somewhere. Somehow we're going to consciously or unconsciously try to ruin this just a little bit to make oh, yeah. it very like uncomfortable, but yet exciting Or mm-hmm. it's unpredictable despite nothing
2: that's like going wrong. Like, it's so funny how much human beings will do that. Um, Even right now with, with this pandemic that's going on. um, The truth of the matter is, is that most people are in their house. Most people are safe. Most people like we're going to be okay. Yes. It's tight. Yes. It's, there's some stress. Yes, like all of those things, but it is the boredom. <laughs> it's the boredom of the of the thing that makes it even worse. So,
1: mm-hmm. or I actually, think
2: that. Go a
1: ahead. Good way of looking at this too. It's perfectly to what you're saying. People are being forced to sit. Be still and really reflect on them right now. And, like you were saying, it's so hard for people to just sit and be present and focus on what they can control, what is in their power right now.
2: Absolutely. And here's another really key thing that we have to understand about why this happens for women more Hmm. feminine energy is the introspective, the go with the flow, the bendable, the uh surrender. That is the feminine essence. We just happen to live in a society that is focused on it is hyper-masculinized energy. And so even us as women, like the story I was telling you about how I had this plan of I'm gonna become a doctor and I'm gonna have children at this age, right? logical, analytical, planning, like that is the masculine energy. And most, uh, most women that are um in the society are operating in that in that in our masculine energy because that is what is prized, right? It's ensuring your survival in a society where the masculine is praised. It's only when we surrender to our feminine energy that we actually get somewhere with our feminineness. Fe- is that a word? I don't know, but I have a
1: question. she's raising her hand. This is so exciting to me. I'm so, because earlier you mentioned that you grew up without your father. Mm-hmm. I grew up without my father and you just pointed out something that kind of blew my mind just now going back to my daughters, one thing when you said feminine, masculine, and how things happen the way, maybe not the way we want them, but the way we need them. I can not imagine having a son right now. Because my oldest, for what we're going through right now, she needs a little sister. That's just what she needs. She prayed for the little sister. And a month later, I was pregnant with her little sister. So she got what she needed. <laughs> and I truly believe that kids are more in tune to You know, what's going on outside of us? She knew what was going on. Mama didn't. But my youngest daughter is very more masculine energy. My sister's very, my oldest is very feminine. Mm -hmm. You growing up without a dad, I grew up without a dad. Do you think women who come from those, and I'm kind of wondering, were you the oldest? Oh, yeah. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think we learn to take the place? to replace that masculine energy that is absent in the household?
2: Um, I think it's partly that. Mm -hmm. And then also if you are in a home where your father is not present and you don't have that stabilizing force of um, a a man in his masculine and a woman in her feminine, then we end up seeing our moms in their masculine for survival, Mm -hmm. right? So I saw my mom Working two, three jobs um, she had to be very stern, very hard, um, not as nurturing, et etc and a daughter emulates her mother
0: mm-hmm.
2: a daughter emulates their mother more than anyone else in the world um, but we we experience love from the first from that from that man in our life we that is like our bar of what we want for love. If you don't have that, then typically you have problems in the relationship arena because you don't know what love from a man looks like. You have an imagination of what it's supposed to be. Right. Um, Or if you have a, a father in your life that has some serious issues, then that also creates issues in a woman's relationship as she's coming up. But I think that, for me, I was emulating what I, what I was seeing from my mom and what I was seeing from, from my, uh, grandmother. my grandmother because um, my grandmother, she came up in, in the feminist era. And so there were certain, certain ways that she was differing from my great-grandma. By the way, the best blessing that I had was I had both of my great-grandparents up until only a few years ago. Oh, wow. And they were married for almost 70 years before mm. they passed. Yeah. So my, um, I'm telling you, it's so weird. My husband is just like my great grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like my great grandfather. And, um, and I saw the difference between, um, my mom and my grandma and how they really struggled operating in their, in their masculine energy. But then I saw my great grandma who was still super like, she was amazingly strong. But she operated in her feminine energy, and I saw the stability that the two of them had together as a couple operating in these more uh, compatible ways of being, and I had to consciously again and again and again choose um, choose to be in my feminine energy it 's not like I just grew up that way or whatever. Right. I had to consciously, um, and I've, I've had conversations with my mom and my grandma about their regrets and their lives and et cetera. And a lot of those really come down to, they were operating in their masculine so much in their life that they created blockages for themselves, destroyed relationships that could have gone a different way. Um, the bond that they had with their children and so on. Like there's so, 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 so many um, things that I think can be a barrier for women when they don't know how to really get in touch with their feminine energy too.
1: Which is a perfectly to my next question. How, how can women practice operating? Because I, I totally hear you when you say that. The masculine energy is kind of just what we're taught you know especially in our society and you know women even more now it's all about being independent I can do this for myself but there has to be a balance so how can how can women be more in touch not only in touch with their feminine energy but use it on a day-to-day and like allow it to do all the wonderful things that it's meant to do well Uh, Kate knows that I am all about the practical.
2: So I love to bring, I love to bring in these kind of um, more uh, philosophical or kind of airy, right? Type of things like talking about energy or spirituality or whatever. I like to bring those into the everyday life. So when I'm working with women, especially, or even men who are too far in their masculine because they're, there are men who actually need a little, bit more, uh, a little bit more of their feminine energy to be stable. Um, I love to talk about what are the day-to-day practical applications of this. The first thing that I highly recommend women start doing, it's, I can feel, as soon as I say this, I can feel how many butts are going to squirm in their seats. <laughs> the first thing that women have to do is learn how to receive. Hmm. And that can be as simple as receiving compliments without downplaying them or glossing over them or returning them, right? Like trying to skirt around the...
1: the That you just gave me a compliment,
2: right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, someone says, oh my gosh, your hair is amazing. You say... Thank you. It is incredible. Like, that's it. That's it. Practice asking for help. Hmm. Understand feminine energy is collaborative, period. So, what we're doing right now, the three of us having this talk and doing this together, this is collaboration. And women do that best. Like, <laughs> feminine energy does that best. So, Practice collaborating. Look in your life. Um, one of the ways I really got hip to this was um, practicing barter. Um, so it could look like um, maybe we we collaborate with a, a, a neighbor and do meals. So meal swapping, where both of us are able to cut our cooking time in half and still feed our families the whole week right variety with variety and also you know different styles of food and different Mm -hmm. flavors of food like more community like so many benefits right so start looking at your life at different ways of how can i start to incorporate you know everyone wants to go to self-care first um (laughs) Just do your hair, put on your makeup, get dressed, do your nails. No, Um, (laughs) those things are important, right? But you can be, you can be masculine in a dress. Like that's, that's not solving the, the issue. Um, so getting in touch with your femininity through receiving through (laughs) collaboration and also self worth. Hmm. So the feminine energy is the more magnetic energy. The masculine energy hunts, the feminine energy waits. And so through that waiting, it's very it is a very magnetic type of thing. But if you do not understand your value and hold a high value of yourself and PS boundaries are at play here. Like you cannot have a high, you cannot be high value and be easily accessible. Yeah. They don't go together. <laughs> they don't. It, it, it's like, let's use animals because people can get really, their feelings can get hurt if we use people. So let's just use animals. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: No one gets hurt right now. No feelings are hurt. No feelings are hurt during this podcast.
2: No feelings are hurt. So let's say, um, let's use lions. Okay. If you have a lioness and any, like literally any lion that comes up gets to mate with her. She is not, she is not as valuable to the, the pride that's why, um, in animal species, the males fight over, over the, the female counterpart. That's what we see a, again and again and again. Masculine energy is competitive, but that's because the female has value. They're fighting to access the value, right? So. Our very wombs, our ability to be the portal to life, is, in and of itself, valuable. And then if you add on top of that that many of us are talented in different ways. We're caring in different ways. We um, bring different skills to the table, etc. All of those things then add to our value. Knowing and standing firm in that and having very strong boundaries about what you will or won't accept. Like my husband, he's literally sitting right over here um, doing some work. <laughs> he will tell you that there was a time limit that he could marry me. I, was, I told him very upfront, I'm not going to sit around for 10 years waiting for you to marry me. You're going to know. If you want me, you have this much time. And then we're not having a 10-year-long engagement either. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go by those exact standards, right. but I'm just using them. that. Like, what are your boundaries? What are your non-negotiables? And then you stick to them. Like, there is nothing worse. It's like when, you're, when you have children and you tell them, no dessert after 7 o'clock, right? Right. They're going to come and they're going to test you. <laughs> it's going to be 701 and they're going to be like, "Mommy, can I have a cookie?" Once you give into that, <laughs> cookie, <laughs> all of a sudden your your word and your your value that you're presenting, your the the position that you're holding starts to <laughs> starts to decrease and people start taking you less seriously because You, you bent those boundaries. So we were talking about surrender earlier. um, And I want to kind of bring that back in because some people think that surrender means having no boundaries. And they are not the same thing. (laughs) So surrendering to what the reality is looks very different than, um, or being flexible to what the reality is, right, is very different than holding on to certain boundaries. And that's when it really comes down to a woman really um, being aware of not necessarily what the goal is, but how she wants to grow. How she wants to grow. Because... For me right now, um, you know, boundaries, I think, is a challenge for all of us as women. It is a challenge, but it's an important one. But sometimes it's the boundaries themselves that can lead to growth. Right? So if we're looking at surrendering for growth, there are also boundaries for growth. So if you're in a situation where you're looking to possibly break your boundaries because you feel like you have to surrender, you have to look at, is that actually helping me to grow? Mm-hmm. So let me bring that into a, a like more concrete example, okay? Because now I'm bringing in two topics, surrender and boundaries, and it can be a little confusing. Um, let's say that, well, this is a good one. Women come to me all the time. And I don't know why people come ask me about relationships, but they do. And a woman comes to me and she says, I want to be with a man that is six feet tall. Okay. And she'll be like, that's one of my boundaries. Hmm. <laughs> that's a boundary of mine. <laughs> now, I say, so if a man comes, that's literally everything else that you could imagine for yourself, and he's 5'11", you're going to say no. And she's like, well, no. okay. So then that is not a boundary, (laughs) right? That's actually just running counter to what it is that you actually desire in your life. But sometimes there are boundaries that even if they're uncomfortable, they're still preserving your growth. So if that same woman comes and maybe her boundary is I don't, uh, I'm not having a child until I'm married. Okay. And that's not to say that having a child when you're not married is bad or whatever. Let's just say that that is her thinking. That was, uh, I'm using that example because that was like my real life. (laughs) I wanted to have a child when I was married and here I am, you know, engaged to be married and now having to figure out, do Mm -hmm. I want to have a child before? Right. Um, To me, that was a boundary that it was like a blurred line. The reasoning behind why I had that boundary was growth and stability. I wanted to ensure that I was with someone who was going in with the intention that this is like for the long haul. And so then I'm presented with the reality that, hey, uh, you're probably going to have to get pregnant before you get married. So I had to then decide which was more, what was the most important thing to me? Like, I I trusted this person enough to um, get engaged, right? Um, And there was no guarantee that he was going to stay, but there was no guarantee even after we were married (laughs) that he was going to stay. So when we're looking at what we want to surrender to, we always have to come back to, like, just being really conscious and aware of why do we have those boundaries in place? Is it important for me to hold that boundary? And sometimes it means actually having more boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's like when you're talking about boundaries and surrender. It's almost the the biological sense if you look at the egg and the sperm of how it's made and how what's the purpose of it, what's the journey of it. The the egg is always there you know, when, once you have it, obviously, um, they're waiting for the right sperm, not every sperm, the right sperm before it cuts
2: everything off and say, uh-uh,
0: no more, this is it. Yep.
2: <laughs> right. And it's not, it's not every single egg that nope. even <laughs> is uh, receiving sperm, right? So we can see it like on a biological level. Also, there's only one, <laughs> one egg to the many the many sperm, like many, right? many, sperm. <laughs> many many so <laughs> I think all of those are like really we, we need to help women return back to that understanding and really everyone wins when women understand their value in the world that we aren't just here to um Be serve kids. and yeah. <laughs> have kids like We have inherent value because we exist. And actually, our value is in just being. It's not in us doing anything. It's not in the act of doing stuff. It's just by being, waiting for the sperm to come.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. sorry I loved all of this like I feel like we could keep talking for hours it's been an hour um so I would like to ask if you have any anything we didn't touch on I'm looking at the list of questions and like you knocked them all out on your own so is there anything that you would like to leave people with something the podcast I think would be great to have um, is kind of like a reflection of if there was anything you could change would there be? Why and why not? Hmm
2: I think reflecting back there's not really anything that I would have changed Um, although Emergency C-section wasn't very fun. <laughs> that part wasn't very fun. Um, if You know, I do kind of wish I would have been able to have it my way. And uh, I also now think if I had been in some different situations and been supported um, in some other ways and been more knowledgeable myself, I probably wouldn't have even needed to have um, needed to have a, a an emergency C section
0: mm-hmm. what kind of knowledge would you say yeah, like, what kind of information would I you... think
2: for me like i because i was i was high risk i wasn't able to i originally went to um, a midwife and um i was none of them would take me on as a client because of the the risk that was inherent but um I think one of the things that really I would say was kind of uh, a cause and of course, again, I'm just speculating here, but I do think that being in a hospital environment where they kept forcing me to lie down when my body was telling me that I needed to move and that I needed mm-hmm. to be to be in, in motion, um, I think that that contributed to my son and, you know, ending up with the the cord wrapped around his neck. But on a a spiritual level, on a spiritual level, he had to come in that way. So that was a way that he chose. On a spiritual level, we see that as being someone who's born with a veil, meaning they're born with a gift of being able to see things that are um, unseen. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I also had, I was born with a veil as well. So, you know, on one hand, the human version of me is like, "Of course, there's like some things that I would have liked to change and for them to be different." Um, but then I also hold the other perspective of he chose the way that he was coming in. Um, even my own higher self was lining certain things up to unfold in a certain way that was for my for my best interest and also for his and also for my husband's like everything has worked out so perfectly I couldn't have couldn't have planned it. I couldn't have planned that and if I go back and I just tweak one little piece of it I screw up the whole picture. So I think probably not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well thank you for sharing. I've enjoyed this so much.
0: So one more thing that I like to add on the (laughs) I'm gonna start this. Siri version of the good, bad, and the ugly. And so I know we talked a lot about all this different stuff in the journey and everything like that. So for the good, bad, and ugly, if you were to talk to someone who are, you know, plan to have a kid, a baby in future, more babies, uh, or just planning to have one, what would be the good, bad, and the ugly three things that you would tell them about it? (laughs)
2: Ooh. <laughs> hmm. um, mm. the good for sure there is I mean there is nothing that compares to the love of a child mm-hmm. like absolutely nothing that compares to that even though it does come with uh I would say that the, the ugly of that is that it's, it does sometimes I I cried a lot at the beginning of my son's life because I realized that every day he was getting older and it's, it's like being broken up with (laughs) over 18 years (laughs) every day. It's like the longest break up ever <laughs> and they need you a little less every day um which it also has its pros by the way there there are pros there um and I would say like the bad there are certain things that happen to a woman's body that <laughs> are <laughs> Just, and it never goes back. Like, even if you're blessed in a way where maybe you don't get stretch marks or whatever, like, there's certain things that just are not going to be the same. You're literally going to be a different person. And that's okay. In fact, that's how it should be. You have to become a different version. And it's not that it's a bad thing to be a different version of yourself, but to just be prepared that motherhood requires you to, to be a different version of yourself than, you know, young, single, (laughs) kid-free, living life, YOLO. Like (laughs) you got to think about things a lot differently when you're a mom. So I wouldn't say that it's like all bad but you know I do I did not appreciate the perkiness of my breasts
1: <laughs> until it was gone until oh the, my gosh <laughs>
2: or what my stomach looked like like yes. man, if I could just and the the level of stretch marks like I had stretch marks before but they were surface level these stretch marks is like canyons you know and I got them in place people don't tell you like I got them under my armpit I got them on my calves like nobody told me that that was a thing that you you know could do that so yeah that's the that's the bad I think. Or is that the ugly? Maybe that's the ugly. Your ugly uh, was the breakup. Maybe it's both. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how to categorize this. Cause I'm gonna be real with you. Um, you know, the breakup thing, that that has goods good things and and bad things to mm-hmm. it, right? Because they're getting more independent, they don't need you as much, which is kind of nice. Um, you don't have to change as many diapers and all that. That that part's great. But With the stretch marks and the saggy boobs, I really, really struggle to find the good in that. Other than, it's a sign I had a kid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mom life, hashtag mom life. Yeah, that's a good one. The canyons, that was a great one.
2: Yeah, stretch mark canyons.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Makosi, for um being here
1: yes thank you thank
0: you <laughs> love the welcome. conversations as always And where can, can we
1: find you actually where can we connect with you get to know you better hear your voice more see your face oh, good. One that is, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: i'm i'm everywhere so um you can find me at the royal shaman on facebook on instagram okay. um i'm not on there as much but uh you can also visit my website, which is theroyalshaman.com, or visit me on YouTube. Um, I'm up and going on YouTube, releasing videos every week um, about spirituality, energy, um, you know, what's what's in your best interest for personal development and self actualizing, all of those things. So you can find me on YouTube. Um, I think it's bit.ly backslash. The Royal Shaman Y.T.
0: Awesome. We'll link that in our show notes. Okay. Yes.
1: Awesome. And that concludes this week's episode of the Holistic Hope Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We would like to invite you to continue the conversation with us online. Check the show notes to see where you can connect with Dr. Kate, myself, our guests, and the rest of the Holistic Hope community to dive deeper into ways we can create generational healing through love. See you next week, and until then, stay well, friends.